ought to be scriptural. I think we all agree with that. And that makes every sermon important. But there's some sermons that are more needful than others. And as a pastor, while I'm very much concerned about the state of the church, both present and future, I'm concerned about what happens now, and I'm concerned about what happens after I'm gone from the scene. And I also realize that uh, that what happens later depends a great deal on what we do now. Amen. By that, I'm, I simply mean that, uh, and I, I can say without any reservation, that if we fail in regards to what I'm talking about this morning, we don't have a bright future. And, and no church would. And, and that's how important this message is this morning. The title of the message is Charity's Choice. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 4, I'll give you our text verse in just a little while, but... First of all, I want to make some remarks to sort of set the table for the meal. Back in my childhood days, we had an old man who was, well, I guess what you would call the neighborhood Mr. Fix-It. And he had tools that that I'd never even seen before. He had a forge, and I mean, boy, he could get out there and he was a little guy, probably five, six, something like that, and uh, get out there and, and, and work with metal. He had a drill press. I didn't know anybody had a drill press. I, it was a strange-looking contraption to me, and, and just all kinds of tools hanging everywhere out there. And I, I loved to hang around his shop slash garage. That's, that's all that it was, and... Uh, and he he would take different things and make trinkets and toys out of them for the kids. And every time anyone in the neighborhood had something that needed to be fixed, Ben's name came to mind. And I don't remember him ever refusing to help anyone. I don't remember him ever charging anyone. He wouldn't take any pay. Uh, he was just the original Mr. Fix-It, the neighborhood handyman. And, and it's always a blessing to have someone like that in the neighborhood or someone like that in your life, someone that you can rely upon. But there is a Mr. Fix-It of another type that is a, that is a burden instead of a, instead of a blessing. We live in a fallen, broken world. And uh, anybody that knows anything about the Bible can easily see what's wrong in the world, right? Everybody can take a pencil and a piece of paper and just make a list of ten major problems in the world. You, you, you can do that. It's easy. So seeing the faults is easy, but fixing it isn't. And a lot of times what happens is we become troubled by our troubles And then we develop a sire spirit, and eventually our very presence becomes a burden to to other people. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We ought to be able to recognize problems. 
We ought to desire things that, you know, to be better. And we ought to work in, in, in an effort to make things better, to solve problems, to help people and, 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 and all of that. At the same time, we've got to realize that there's a limit to what we can do. We can never reform all of society. I don't care how hard you try. Uh, we finally have to learn to live with things as they are and live with people as they are. And the problem is, too many times we have this fix-it mentality. We see something that's, that's broke and, and we want to fix it. And we see something that's wrong and we want to make it right. That's just, you know, kind of human nature. But what we need to remember is... We're not the change agent. We have neither, we have neither the wisdom nor the power to make everything right. And God, who has the power and the wisdom, doesn't. Let me repeat that. We don't have the wisdom, we don't have the power to make everything right. And God, who does have the wisdom and the power, doesn't always make everything right. By that, I mean God created man with a free will. We can choose, we can wreck our life if we please. We can jump off a building if we please. God's given us a free will. God hates sin, but God allows sin. He he permits it to to happen. And so surely in this there ought to be a lesson for us. I often think about Christ and as he went about doing good and teaching and making disciples and as people began to follow him and then others just out of curiosity they began to follow after him until he laid down the stipulations of discipleship and all of a sudden the Bible says they left him. Instead of him running after them, saying, wait a minute, let me rephrase what I said that might have offended you. Instead of him running after them and begging them to come back, he turned around to his faithful followers and said, will ye go also? There they go. He, he just let them go. Did he not care? Certainly he cared. But he knew the hearts of of these people. He knew what was going on in their life. And let me tell you, there is a limit to how far God will go to get you to do what's right. He's not going to force you against your will. But sometimes we don't learn our lesson. And I wish someone had taught me before I started pastoring that it's not my job to fix everything in the church because I thought it was. I was the pastor. You know, it it didn't make any difference what the problem was. I was going to straighten it out before sundown. I mean, that's the way I looked at it. This problem needs to be solved, and I'm the man. I've got to do it. And so I'd just take the bull with the horns and, you know, go to work trying trying to be Mr. Fix-It. When you take the bull with the horns, you end up getting gored a few times. And uh, then the ministry's not so much fun. Just about every church has a Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It. 
Sometimes they've got several. In fact, let me say that I think we all tend to find fault. I, I think that's the vestiges of our old human nature that's still lingering. And there's just something about us that can't leave well enough alone. And we've got to nitpick and find fault. And, and it's like we feel that God made us. He, you know, He appointed us the, the chief fault finder and fixer in the church. And we become experts at finding the problems. And we try to fix them. And we end up doing more damage than we do good. Because it's not our job to fix everything. Stop and think about it. Who authorized you to correct all of the problems in the church? Uh, who gave you the authority to do that? Many years ago, an old preacher said to me, and I guess he could realize I needed it. He said an old preacher told me that a pastor has to learn to work with people as they are and not as you wish they were or as they ought to be. That was some of the best advice I'd ever received in my lifetime. And we all need to learn that lesson, to work with people as they are, not as we want them to be, or not even as they really ought to be. So why are we so dead set on exposing and eliminating the sins of others and at the same time excusing our own? Well, let me give you the answer for the problem here. Verse 8, 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things... Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, two things I want you to consider this morning, the need for love and the nature of love. And understand the word charity is the Greek word agape. It's the same word that's used to describe God's love. So it's, when we talk about charity, we're talking about love. And and notice the need for it. He says, and above all things have fervent charity. Now notice here we see the inclusion of love because it starts with the word and. This connects it to verse 7. But what's he talking about in verse 7? Well, in verse 7 he's talking about soberness. That is being of a sound mind. And he's talking about watching with prayer. Well, you've heard me say it doesn't get any more important than prayer because we cannot succeed at anything without prayer. But notice notice here the inclusion of love. He says, and above all things. In other words, this is connecting what he says with what he just said. And the whole point is, whatever else we do, put whatever you want in verse 7. Prayer, Bible study, tithing, whatever you want. Whatever else we do, it's never enough without love. That has to be included in everything we do. The Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. But we see not only the inclusion of it, we see the importance of it. Notice he says, above all things. 
Now, we find exactly the same thing in several other places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, talking about the gifts that God gives His people. And He said, the greatest of these is charity. In Colossians 3, 14, it says, and above all things put on charity. The sad thing is, love is last on the list for a lot of people. A lot of Baptists have orthodoxy is first on their list. By that, I'm talking about what they believe and the correctness of what they believe, their, their doctrine. Now look, we ought to be right in what we believe. But what we believe really doesn't matter if there's not any love involved in it. And I hope you don't misunderstand what I just said because I want you to understand it does make a difference what you believe. But if it is without love, it's cold, dead fundamentalism that's not going to do anybody any good. There's one thing we cannot do without and that, that is love. We'd be better off to have our IQ lowered. We'd be better off to have all of our talents taken away from us. Boy, I wish I had time to elaborate on that a little while because over the years I've known some people that, you know, to look at them you'd think, my, they're not the, you know, they're not the brightest person I've ever seen. And we, we see people that don't have a lot of talent. They can't sing like, like Brandon can and they can't do a lot of other things that impress people. But oh my, they have a heart of love and that love makes up for what they lack in all of these other areas. We're better to have our body weakened than to have a lack of love because without it, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, we are nothing and we can do nothing. We're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. We're nothing without love. So we see the importance of it, but notice... We see the insistence for it. Notice the word have. And that word have literally means to keep having. It it means to have and to hold. You hear people talk about, well, you know, I, I used to love that person, but I don't love them anymore. That's part of our problem. You know, we try to operate with conditional love. We love them as long as they live up to our standard. We love them as long as, as, long as they're pleasing us. Now, that, that's not real love at all. But here he says, having, having charity, having love one for another in a fervent, that, that is a red hot kind of love. It's the kind of love that that, that you think about when a runner is in the hundred yard dash and he's straining every muscle within him trying to win the prize. It's putting everything you've got into loving that person. And that's the kind of love that we desperately need. That's, that's the kind of love that we cannot do without. And, and notice here in the context of this, he's talking about and remember, these are a people that's gone through great difficulty. They've been persecuted. They've been driven from their homes. These are people that have lost everything except their hope in God. And then Peter gets down to verse 7. He said, the end is near. The end, I mean, this, you know, this is it. 
And as any Bible student knows, we're living in the last days. We have been ever since Christ was crucified. And in the mind of these people, it, you know, they were feeling that all was lost. And love is never more greatly needed than when people are going through tough times. So it's easy to see the need for love, but I want you to notice the nature of it because it gets down to the heart of what I'm talking about this morning. Notice, charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now that's actually a quotation from the book of Proverbs in chapter 10 and verse 12. It says there, hatred stirreth up strifes, that's in the plural, but love covereth all sins, that's in the plural. That word cover means to hide, it means to conceal, it means to keep secret, it means to call something to not be known. When I think about that, automatically I think about Noah and when Noah got drunk and stripped off all of his clothes and he's laying naked there in the tent. And Sham and Japheth come in and they take a garment. They won't even look on the nakedness of their father and they take that garment and put it to their back and go backwards and put it over their daddy to cover his nakedness. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want anyone else to see it. They didn't want anybody else to know about it. And and you see, folks, sometimes that is exactly the opposite of what we do when somebody fails. Instead of us loving them enough that we want to cover, hide, conceal their sins, we want to deal with it. We want to be Mr. Fix-It. We want to correct them. Now, don't misunderstand. Sometimes love demands that we confront and counsel other people. Sometimes that's necessary. But it's not necessary for everybody to do it. If we have a good relationship with someone, we're close friends, it might be that we can go to them and we can, we can help them deal with that issue. But too many times we butt in where we have no business. And we're not really even trying to help them deal with it. We want to see them change. We want to see it corrected. We want to see them stop doing what they're doing. And in the meantime, we're, we're broadcasting it to everybody else. Oh, we put it in the form of a prayer request sometimes, don't we? Oh, you need to pray for old brother so and so. You know, he run, he, he run off with the pianist in the church or, yeah, I heard old brother so-and-so, you know, we need to pray for him. I, I understand he got caught dipping in the till, stealing money from the church. So many times, instead of just saying pray for somebody and covering the sin, we think we're on a mission from God to reveal the nature of the sin. Sure, there are times that love compels us to confront people that we love. But when we do, we better speak the truth in love 
And just because we confront them with the truth and speak the truth doesn't give us a license to blow up in their face. Because the Bible tells us exactly how we are to relate one to another. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 31. He says, And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, and evil speaking, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Colossians 4, he said, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. You see, we can say whatever we say, but if we say it the wrong way, we do as much harm as though we had said the wrong thing. Are you following me? Because a lot of times we think, oh, well, as long as what I'm saying is the truth, I've got a license to say it. No, you don't. It's not your job to go around correcting everybody, fixing everybody's problem. And how we deal with one another's faults is going to determine the direction the church takes And it's real easy. We we can look around right now, can't we? I mean, just pick out a person. Pick me. I don't care. Pick whoever. And you can find some fault with them, right? That's easy to do. If you know them very well at all, you know they've got some faults. Or it, it might be that it's no obvious fault, but there's some things about them you just don't really like. You know, they, uh, well, they just don't look like you. So there's got to be something wrong. Sometimes we do really know something about somebody that is, I mean, a legitimate thing. It's really wrong. And sometimes a person's sin becomes public knowledge and it reaches the point that is a danger to the church, and there are times, extreme times, where church discipline is its the thing that we have to do. It's what the Bible calls for. But let me tell you, we ought to never be in a hurry to do that, and we ought to always be cautious when we do. You see, one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians is to emphasize some sins... And ignore others. Make a list. Think about it. There are some sins, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take hardly anything to set us off and we get all riled up and we get all bent out of shape because so and so's doing that and you know, preacher, that is wrong. How long are we going to keep letting that happen? You know, that is so wrong. And then we totally ignore these other, these other sins that I, I guess we suppose they're the respectable sins. And it's kind of like we think that we're smart enough and wise enough and have the authority to, you know, to divide them up and to categorize them like that. But 
what gives you the authority or the right to condemn some sins and ignore other sins? And isn't it really amazing that, you know, we're always condemning the other person's sin and condoning ours, or at least at least we ignore it. Then we get in a big hurry to deal with somebody else's sin. When we all have sin of some sort, because your sin is different does not make it less dangerous. I I hope the wheels are turning right now because I'm biting my tongue trying to not get off into some specific areas But I hope you'll think for yourself and that I don't have to just lay it out in black and white. I'm telling you there are people that that are guilty of being critical of what other people are doing when in reality they are doing something at least to themselves that's more harmful than what the other person is doing. In some way we feel justified in criticizing the other person because what they're doing is wrong, when in reality we ought to be taking a good look at ourselves. You see, when you love someone, you want to protect them and you want to provide for them. And you're not protecting someone, you're not providing what somebody needs when you go talking about their faults and their failures. You're not helping, you're hurting. And as I've said so many times, over the years I've seen it happen time and time again, somebody will commit a sin. What they did was wrong, there's no doubt about that. And what they did hurt people, no doubt about that. But people talking about what they did ended up causing more harm, more damage than the person's sin did itself. What goes on in this church is this church's business. It's nobody else's business. As a member of this church, you ought to absolutely never, under any circumstances, talk to anybody else about a problem in this church, the fault or a failure of one of its members. Oh, and maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, something like that would never happen. We deal with it every week. Every week. If you don't believe me, ask Brother Kenneth. I thank God for Brother Kenneth and, and Brother Kenneth hadn't been in the ministry quite as long as I have and sometimes it's it's a tough thing for him to deal with seeing the damage, the harm that people do. And uh, all because they want to talk about somebody else's faults and failures. But you see, both he and I have to be very careful about how we deal with it because in dealing with it, if we're not careful, we become a Mr. Fix-It. And we end up doing more harm than good. I I can't fix every problem in the church. I can't fix every problem in my family. I can't fix every problem with me.
Boy, I, I tell you, I, if we all cared as much about our own sins as we did the sins of other people, we'd all be so much better off. And he says that charity does what? It covers the multitude of sins. It doesn't go around announcing to others, tattling on others. If I know anything bad about my wife, you're going to be the last to know. You ought to feel that way about your wife or your husband. And I know one thing. I know my wife has got my back. If you want to get her riled up, you just talk bad about me to her. Try it. See how far you get. It's not going to work. Because we got each other's back in that regard. Look, every one of us ought to feel that way about every other member of the church. We ought to have their back. And there's no reason for us to make known their sin. Because if we love them like we should, the last thing we want to do is for somebody else to find out about it. Because, look, after it becomes public knowledge with our help, it becomes ever so more difficult for them to deal with. You know, if they know the pastor's the only one that knows, it's easy for them maybe, to, or a lot easier to deal with, get it right with God. But what happens a lot of times whenever somebody finds out now everybody in the church knows what I did. And folks, that happens. Somebody will goof up. Well, let's call it what it is. They sin. It was wrong. And after a while, everybody knows about it. You know what usually happens? They leave the building. Yeah. They're going to go somewhere else. You know, they, they don't want to face the wrath of the brethren, and so they hit the road and go somewhere else. The Bible says those that are spiritual ought to help those that are weak. We ought to bear their burdens. Now, here's my question. Why do we have so much difficulty with this? Why is it so difficult for us to love others to such an extent that we want to cover their sins, as it were? Well, there's several reasons. There's several factors that can be involved. It might be related to salvation. It's impossible for unbelievers to love as the Bible commands. It's like telling somebody to jump over the moon. They can't do it. Like someone telling somebody to swim across the ocean. Why? You can't do that. But no unbeliever can ever live up to the standard that God has set in His Word. And I'm afraid that is what the problem is with a lot of people that claim to be Christians when in reality they've never truly been born again and they go through their life without ever knowing what it is to have that fervent love one for another. They go through life tolerating people rather than edifying people. They're miserable and they make everybody else miserable. But it might not be a matter of salvation. It might just be a matter of selfishness. Because you see, it's easy even for Christians. It's so very easy 
for us to get overly concerned about ourselves. Oh, we didn't aim for it to happen, but it did. Some way or another, you know, over time, we begin to get the inward focus and it's all about us. Everything is about us. And we develop this selfish attitude. And because of our selfishness, we don't relate well to others. Especially those that don't live up to our standard. Where'd Brandon go? Brandon's got a, they still call that a Mohegan? You still got those dumb things in your ears? Now, it's my grandson, I can say that, and I'm not saying it to embarrass him. I'm not saying to, and I, I can pick on some of you if you want me to. I'm using family because I think I can get by with it. I, I hope he doesn't cut my tires or anything. I, I, I don't wear the skinny jeans and I don't have a, I don't have a ponytail. I, I, I don't have a Mohegan. I, I, I don't, that, but, but that didn't mean I'm better than him or anybody else. We can look, being, being different doesn't mean we're inferior or, or that we're better. Sometimes we get this old selfish attitude that if everybody's not just like me, I, I mean, I, you know, there are, a lot of you dress casual back there, right? I'm wearing another new suit Bev bought me. I, I, I just, I, I've got something about wearing suits to church, I, or a jacket, or, you know, I, but that's just me. As long as you're clean and respectable and your wife can live with you, well, you know, that's, that's your problem. I, I, all I'm trying to say is, folks, you're not, you are not going to do anything by the grace of God, I want to say this, as your pastor, as I've said to my children, you can't do anything to make me stop loving you. You run off to your secretary, I'm going to love you anyway. You get caught drinking some booze out here, I'm going to love you anyway. I don't agree with you. And, and you know, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to do what I can to help you, but I'm going to stop loving you. And I'm not going to start thinking I'm better than you are because you're doing it. Because it's just by the grace of God, it's, you know, you, uh, you know, not, not, not me instead of you. It's not because I'm stronger, smarter, better. So it might be selfishness that's causing us to not have this fervent charity that enables us to cover up the sins of other people. We, we don't want to cover them up. We want, you know, we want to drag it out in the light and make them look bad so we can make ourselves look good. But then it can be a, another factor. It might be the matter of sensitivity. That we're just not sensitive to the feelings and the needs of, of other people. And one of the reasons is because some people have never been hurt bad enough yet to be of any great use to God. There's great profit in pain and suffering. There's some lessons that look that we can't learn any other way other than through pain and suffering. God can't trust just everybody to go through certain trials. 
And you need to count it a privilege if God is, has allowed you to endure great hardships. It's because God knows He's doing something in your life that is for your good and His glory. But so many times we're just not sensitive to the way other people feel. I'll bet you if I walked around and just got up real close to everybody here today and shook your hands and got up close enough, I bet I can find somebody that's got bad breath. But I'd be a dummy if I looked at you and said, Woo, you got bad breath, dude. Why would I do that? Why would I not be more sensitive than that? Well, until we develop a sensitivity one toward another, we're never going to have the kind of love the Bible demands. Let me give you one more and then I'm through. This is what it boils down to for the Christian. And that is surrender. When Paul wrote Romans chapter 12, he was writing to believers. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, just because we've been saved does not mean that we are totally surrendered to the Lord's will for our life. And I can tell you right now, if you're not sensitive toward the feelings of other people, if you don't have this fervent charity in your heart that, that wants to cover up and conceal the sins of others instead of reveal it and hurt them, I can tell you right now that if you're saved, you're not surrendered to God. Because the Holy Spirit, if He's in control of our life, He would never lead us or cause us to do anything contrary to what the Bible commands. Now, I just got through saying that for the Christian, surrender is the key. But if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please understand, I don't care how hard you try, you don't stand a chance. You're never going to get to where you need to be, and I'm not talking about heaven now. You'll never get where you need to be in relationship to other people. You'll never become the person God wants you to be until, first of all, you've been born again by putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Because He's the change agent, not us. and He enables us to do what we could absolutely never do in and of ourselves. You see, it's never a matter of trying. It's trusting. And I hope today you'll take advantage of this opportunity and you will trust Christ. And if you're here and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God, but, uh, but something's happened. Your love has begun to grow cold and, and, uh, you become hypercritical of other people and insensitive to their feelings and their needs. And what you need to do today is forget about their problems and focus on yours. And you all come and get on your knees. You don't have to say anything to me. 
Just get on your knees and say, Dear Lord, today I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I've been overly concerned about the sins of others and I'm going to deal with my own sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. What a God that would be willing to do that. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, forgive us for not being all that we could be or all that we should be. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for our critical attitude toward others, our lack of love toward the brethren. And Lord, for the many times that we, that we, that we fail and, and we're not even aware of it. It just, it's just something happens that through our carelessness we, we just like a bull in a china shop go around tearing up stuff and hurting people and doing harm. God help us this morning to be sensitive toward the needs and the feelings of other people and to love them in such a way that we would never, ever want to expose their sins, but rather we would want to love them to such a great extent that they would turn to You. And Lord, if there are those here today that's not saved, God, may the Holy Spirit speak to their heart. Draw them to Yourself that they might be born again. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.